welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen. This is sponsored by Data Automation. We are here with a very special guest. We're continuing our series where we talk about the beginnings of SaaS companies and the automation, delegation, or elimination that they are bringing to the world. Our guest today is Andy Lambert. He has over 10 years of experience creating markets, building profitable businesses and leadership roles in industry-leading SaaS organizations. He's one of the founding team of Content Cal, an award-winning social media marketing technology software that has gone international since launching in January of 2017. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, Will. Great to be on. You know, it, it's uh, I, I love I love the beginnings of these podcast episodes because I get this like tingly feeling all over where I'm like, okay, let's see what it looked like to to get in there. So so we always start out with what does the software do, Andy? Tell us about Content Cal. And am I saying that right? I, I find that sometimes I say it wrong. Yeah, no, fine. Content Cal, basically short for content calendar. So it kind of does what it says on the tin, uh, to be honest with you. But, you know, the, the idea behind the product is is to simplify how businesses do content marketing. Content marketing is incredibly fragmented. Few businesses really nail it. And uh, the thing that will allow businesses to nail it is having complete visibility of everything that's going on. So Content Cal is simple, it's intuitive, helps people understand everything that's happening across their businesses' content marketing, what's happening not just on social, but on their podcasts, on their emails, press releases, events. That whole thing is a part of a multi-channel strategy. Very few businesses properly understand that and bring that together. And that's what we're on a mission to do. Interesting. So you've got me, my ears are perked. Uh, data automation, we do exactly exactly what you said, what it says on the tin. People, I, I love I love going to trade shows and they'll, they'll read my shirt and be like, so so what what do you guys do? And I just smile and say, we, we automate data. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I love that that's what you guys do. And, and we're getting more into the realm you know, with this podcast and other podcasts that I've been on, some email marketing, we're, we're getting into the realm of, of content. So you, you've got my ears perked. Uh, I'm curious about this. So, so tell us how your software differs from other competitors' softwares. Yeah, brilliant question. So uh, point number one is the fact that we're, we're multi-channel. So um, you, you'll often find that there are, there are thousands of tools in the social media space of which we're in, right? So Hootsuite, Buffer, Sprout, Sprinkler, insert a million others, um, but very few. Um, yeah, so that's- Sorry, that's just, I, I love the names. I, I have to pause here for a second. I love the names of, of software companies. Like, like eventually, like, and, and there's, there are new ones starting all the time, right? So eventually we're going to run out of short four-letter words that we can call things or like, it, like, like when you spouted off, you know, uh, Hootsuite, Sprinkler, like uh, th there were some that I hadn't heard of yet. And I was like, man, these names are so, I mean, we're getting abstract here. It's, I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's fun. Like, I wonder if you, if you got somebody out there who would, who would draw caricatures of all of these, these people, like, like Sprinkler was like actually a sprinkler with like a, a head smiling, like walking around and content Cal is like actually a calendar walking around. Like there would be, there, there could be some seriously amazing comics written. 
to, to be honest, I don't know if you if you ever seen this, but a guy called Scott Brinker does like um like the marketing technology stack. So he does like this state of the marketing technology thing. There's like what five thousand Martech vendors, of which you know probably you and I both kind of we're definitely in the space, and the data automation are are, are as well. I, I'd, I'd but like it's just like a sea of logos. So what it needs to be turned into is like a big cartoon series where they all all of these cartoon sprinklers and calendars just get in and beat each other up. So um <laughs> yeah. the marketing technology. So yeah. It's it's entertaining. I mean data automation is more of a support tool. So I, I we we'd have to be like the mother hen or something coming in and like helping people connect and play nice or something like that. Play the hero to you, Will. Yeah, well, no, we definitely get to be the hero uh, in this cartoon series. Oh boy! All right, so so tell me how. Let's go back to how does your software differ? I just I had to I had to make a comment. I just it makes me laugh so hard when I love a tangent. So yeah. How to differ multi-channel um one oh it's built by people that are not coders we're marketers so we build it through the lens of marketing so we all are content marketers uh we know the pain and i'll talk about our startup story so you would not believe the impact that has in terms of user growth because funnily enough it's something that everyone has to use on a day-to-day -day basis a dev who's done a bit of market research is not in the best place to tell uh, to build something that a customer is going to use every single day, you have to live and breathe that customer problem, which we did for a long time. So the usability thing is, is a key differentiator. And, and also the fact that really with, with content calendars, the, the fundamental part of it is that we understand that we're, we're a part of a larger digital marketing ecosystem is that so many vendors try and try and get everything for themselves. The reality is, is that you need to connect lots of different parts together. Like Trello might work well for one organization to do a bit of planning, you know, same with Asana or Monday.com or insert a million other project management tools. There might be other tools that you want to publish to medium, Pinterest, whatever. All of that stuff just needs to be connected together. Um, and really, because the main thing that marketers struggle with in our world is visibility, trying to understand what the hell's going on. And especially important right now, where the messaging that you're putting out is just so fundamental to the reputation of your business that you can't afford any missteps right now. You can never before, but I think the microscope's even more on it right now. So I think it, it plays well into your story as well about like, and the title of the podcast, to be fair. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's crazy to see what the world is doing right now and, you know, how we're having to kind of manage those reputations and understand what that looks like. And yeah, nope, totally on the same page. Totally on the same page. Exactly. So tell us about your personal origin story. How do you fit into the picture of the founding team of, of Content Cal? Yeah, so long story short, Content Cal existed uh, as a different name, um, as an agency created by a guy called Alex Packham, who still remains our CEO. Um, Alex had an idea to basically improve the agency that he had created, which was a content marketing agency, and improve the efficiency of that agency. Automate, delegate, eliminate, right? So, um, so... He, you know, at that time, he's building content plans and spreadsheets, which pretty much 90% of marketers still do. Um, so uh, ones that haven't <laughs> met up with us yet. So um, anyway, so building content plans and spreadsheets, sending it to clients, getting clients to approve it. Clients would then go back to the forwards around emails. And then finally, you know, the content that's been approved would just be manually uploaded. Uh, or maybe we'd use something like Hootsuite. 
either way, so Alex recognised uh, an opportunity in that basically. So living in, like I said, living and breathing the customer pain because we, we were the we were our ideal customer. Anyway, so Alex was busy building that, uh, and I was busy doing another tech startup which ended up getting sold to to Oracle. And the person I worked with in doing that, um, a guy called Colin Smith, who at the point of us selling it to Oracle, this business said, oh, I've started mentoring this company in this, what's called an accelerator academy. Um, so Alex is on an accelerator program, mm. uh, being mentored by this guy called Colin, who's also, who'd become a really good friend at the point of like building this tech startup, which was in construction. So not in marketing, um, but I ran like marketing and growth and stuff for it. But anyway, uh, Colin was like, I want, you, I want to introduce you to Alex, Chat, chatting with Alex. I love the idea. And I was like, well, that seems like the next venture. We're right at the start of the journey. Let's let's hit it. Obviously, my had some concerns at first because I'm like, this is a crowded market, right? This is we're wandering into a very busy, busy market. Um, are you sure? You know, are you sure? And I, <laughs> I debated it for a bit because there, there's other opportunities that are in front of me, and I was like, no. I just got the feeling that Alex is like one of those guys that you're like he's going places as well because I always thought I was ambitious and I met him and I was just like you get that feel, you get that spark you get that excitement you're like yeah I you don't you feel like nothing could stand in his way so I'm like yeah I mean even if the product isn't right now and that's and that's the thing about like enterprise entrepreneur entrepreneurship and startups it's like the product might not be right but if the team is is hot then you're like you feel like you can do great things so um yeah, and and to be honest, like most days in a startup, you're you're working with a ropey as hell product, right? You you've got the minimum viable, um, and you're just basically trying to flog that thing to as many people as will listen to you, and selling them on the dream of what it will become, and that's that is the nitty gritty, like down in the weeds type of work of living and breathing a startup. So yeah, so that's where I met Alex, loved it from that from that moment. Well, not. Didn't really love the proposition at the start. Loved him. <laughs> um, that convincing, but loved him. So I was like, that, that's enough to, to get me in. And, I, you know, marketing has always been my jam. So I'm like, well, great. Let's join a marketing tech company and see what we can do. And, uh, yeah, that was probably mid-2016. Uh, mid um, and we spent probably six months of, like, trying to figure out who we were what we were where we we're going to become and lots of conversations about that we spend most time daydreaming and trying to figure out what's what and then then you start meeting customers and the customers will soon tell you what's what so uh, uh, look so i i love that so so where in terms of like when you joined the team it sounds like there was an agency already but there was a core team inside that agency that were working on this product um what, yeah. What so did that team look like? So the eight great question. So the agency was, um, I think, probably about ten people. Still a very small agency, and it was Alex. So that had been working on this, and had uh, a guy called Lawrence, who's our product director. So um, he's still he's still with us. Uh, who had basically just been doing some freelance design stuff. So he had kind of mocked up the MVP with some other freelance work. Basically, we just gave away some sweat equity in the business, right? Right. For, as, as I said, right at the start, we're not devs, we're not coders, right? We have content marketers. Um, so essentially, we, we got some guys in Russia to build it. 
So, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's what we did. So that was the MVP of Rich Lawrence design. So really, there was, there was two people on it. Those, um, those Russian mercenaries um, are quite helpful um, it, when it comes to... I, I've, I've used uh, developers all over the world um, and, and I've been impressed with what I've seen, um, with a lot of overseas devs. So I, I can't knock it at all. I think there's, there's a lot of value there. And then, and then it does make sense eventually at times to, to bring it all back in house, and figure out where you're going with it. But yeah, totally hear you there. So were you kind of like employee number three or four that was working on this specifically or, or what is that? What, you know, what, what, what did the team look like when you joined? Yeah. Outside of Alex, I'm employee number two. So uh, Lawrence, employee number one, I'm employee number two. So no customers, idea stage, basically. <laughs> yeah. And and at this point, I mean, you probably you're you're looking at all of your opportunities. You're you know looking at it and saying, okay, well, how do I do I really want to attach my family's future? I mean, you've got those two uh, cute kids. Um, I saw I saw your LinkedIn profile picture, <laughs> and I love that with you and your boy. Tell me, I mean, I mean, what what made you decide, like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna attach my boat to his, and, and and I mean, obviously, you mentioned that you thought he was a great person, but tell me, like, like financially, you're looking at this like that's a crowded market. I mean, what made you decide to really jump? Yeah, no, and it's a really important question because it's it's a slightly I would class mine as a as a slightly less risky entry into entrepreneurship, let's call it, because. Uh, the guy that connected us, like I said, this guy called Colin, he also he he became our chairman at that point of introducing me. He wanted me to be part of Content Cal as well, so he he heavily forced my hands to be fair, <laughs> so, uh, um, because he was about to um, pony up a quarter of a million pounds, so what three hundred three hundred fifty thousand dollars of his own money to fund Content Cal for the early to make day. this go exactly. So. So that that paid for my salary. So I knew that at least for for a couple of um, well, my salary was not three hundred fifty grand. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's one year. You can get me for one year for three hundred grand. Sadly um, not. Uh, yeah. So essentially, that I knew that we had enough funds in the bank so that you know Lawrence could actually go on a salary, and so so could I because the the issue and and Colin's really clear about this is like you can't build a good business and have absolute focus if a founding team are constantly looking over their shoulders and to, to be honest and as a i couldn't have done that at the stage that i was in my life i was 30 at that point um had a two-year-old kid and you know some people some people risk it and it's and it's important like some people some people know there, there would be some people that would gamble their house and go i'm going for it and fair play and credit to them i'm not built like that so um i wouldn't i wouldn't risk my house on it um yeah family first i would never risk anything anything around that yeah so no, that's that's awesome i, I mean that gut clenching moment when you decided it was there it, data automation's in a similar boat where when we founded data automation i went to uh the board essentially of a tech incubator and pitched them on an idea and i was on salary while we built it so so that that was part of the the investment and, and where, where it went so I, I i'm in a similar boat to you where it's like mm, you gotta you gotta be careful with 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 where that is family first I, on the same page exactly exactly so yeah so slightly different uh family story but anyway that meant that salary wise i knew i was covered for you know we could cover the cost we had runway right so 
we we had a year to to get this nailed on basically so um so if we're digging down into the idea of where this software came you know where it was like oh this needs to be created it sounds like alex was like okay these spreadsheets and like the back and forth and i mean this is just mind-blowingly manual and annoying there's got to be a better way it, it sounds like what is where where that was going and then he he approached colin at some point and said I think there's an opportunity for a software here. And then Colin was like, yes, there definitely is. And let's build it. Is that kind of. So, so Colin, Colin, like similar, similar to me found, I don't think he, he really got the, the idea necessarily. Uh, he just, he just bought into Alex really. So the case of this, this um, accelerator Academy that Alex was on, that's obviously the thing that, uh, that connected him and, and Colin and Colin just, he invests in people. Um, so, and that's, He's done so many businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur, multimillionaire, and he's it's it's the people that make the ideas happen. Um, an idea isn't actually worth anything, really. Um, no, it's not. To be honest, the idea is worth nothing without, without people that to to execute against that idea, and that's what what Colin is is keen on. So, you know, that was the thing. The Accelerator Academy was a really valuable thing. Like Alex talks very highly about his experience in that, and obviously that that got him to the end of that process where. You know, Colin was already going to uh, put in a load of money because he's like, I, you know, he fancied taking a bet on on Alex. Yeah, I love what you were saying about the idea is worth nothing. I tell people that all the time. Um, when when people come to me and they're like, Well, I got this idea for an app, and I'm, I, I I want you to sign an NDA and a non compete before I even tell you the idea, and I just smile because I know like an idea really isn't worth anything. There's probably somebody else out there who's already doing whatever it is that you're thinking of doing. What's really valuable is being willing to have the passion and the desire and the drive and, and then some background to actually execute on the idea. It's it's all about execution. Yeah, it, couldn't it agree is, more. It is indeed. And and that's where you get into the the early days of like putting it in front of customers because it's very easy to get very passionate about an idea and sit in a meeting room and and talk about how amazing this will be when um i'm that that i just i'm, I'm okay to have those kind of chats initially but realistically i, I kind of want to cut that crap and i'm just like just get me in front of customers and i will speak to them and the customer will tell you whether this idea cuts mustard or it doesn't and that's and that's the critical thing so yeah alex had a alex absolutely he's a brilliant he's brilliant at coming up with ideas and he is super investable so he is like the and he's just amazing in front of investors but alex is also really clear about what he can't do and this is why he's brilliant as a ceo because he's like he does investor stuff and he he pushes the business because he's thinking about something that i go really like really that that's a bit far-fetched right you know so he's he's always like 10 steps ahead which is which is super impressive um but like i like i said there's some of the ideas aren't really worth worth anything ideas are worth loads to investors because investors get very excited about this kind of stuff right and it's one thing um that i thought was actually really interesting going through like you know spending more time with investors actually is that Sometimes they're they're a little bit overstated in terms of their importance and how much they know and that they're the oracles of everything. Very few of them really know that they know their stuff about investing in a certain category. Very few of them really understand tech, and that's I found that particularly very very interesting on the on this funding journey. And they're also very easy to to sell to because they want opportunity. 
Um, mm -hmm. Customers are harder to sell to than investors. Put it that way. Oh, that case. So title of the episode right there. Customers are harder to sell to than investors right there. So like, like that is such a powerful nugget for people to, to recognize that, I mean, customers, I mean, they're going to be brutal, right? The, every dollar counts for them. Sometimes this is their whole livelihood. Like they're literally taking food off the table to buy your software so they can grow their little business. So, so I mean, and you look at an investor and he's got a million bucks in the bank and he's like, oh, what am I going to do with this 250 grand? Like, how am, how am I going to figure this out? I love that. Yeah, I, I, I oversimplify to a degree, but the, the, the point is, is like they, they want opportunity, right? They, they're there to try and get opportunity and they, they have, a, they have huge upside if, if it goes well. Um, whereas a customer is definitely more, more risk averse because ultimately that's, that's their, like you said, they're trying to protect their business and investor really is, they need to spend that money. They need to spend less funds mm -hmm. to get business to grow. They're not going to invest in anyone. And of course, there comes that comes. It's still it's harder to to do the sale because there's a huge world of due diligence that obviously happens after that, right? Without going into mm -hmm. all the detail. But I think it's just it's an important point to raise because it's it's sometimes like overstated. Uh, that businesses typically, you know, have an idea straight away, go pitch investors, but you're like. It's, for me, that's just not the, the best way to do it. It's a way, but, and of course I'm biased by, by my own experience, but fundamentally, you know, your, your idea is, or and your business plan, and this is a quote from my favorite book, the Startup Owner's Manual nice. by Steve Blank and Bob Dorf. Um, basically, the first page says, your business plan will not survive first contact with customers and you know it's it's just so true it's just so true so i i love that book and it's it's very dog-eared now alex and i spent a lot of time reading that in the early days it you know it, it is a really really powerful thing to look at you know where that goes and how how to see i, I could not agree with you more on the standpoint of like get it in front of those customers and you're going to discover really quickly what was missing and where it would go. Any advice you would give to uh, founders who are either in the process of raising money or who maybe haven't, haven't started pitching investors or who have investors around uh, creating a situation where the investors have some control, but not so much that it, it interferes with the vision. Any advice that you would give to our listeners? <laughs> Uh, so I'll I'll be honest on the on this one because I don't manage the the investor relations side of the business that is exclusively Alex but Alex yeah Alex would talk more about that but fundamentally the the challenge comes in is that our early days investors meddled far more than they should have done and it's a very difficult conversation because you want to take some money off some people right to to grow the business but you also want them to to go sit over there um, you know you like be quiet please because there's everyone the problem is especially in seed investment that we found we we were working with like high net worth which you know great we want to get a return from them you know and you you learn from everyone right but there's a point where learning you you've got what you can and in some instances because they haven't necessarily earned their money in, in the tech sector or even marketing technology it's a point where their views on like distribution because you know they they've worked on like a multinational like logistics firm you're like it, it just 
it doesn't work like that anymore. If we need a customer in the US, we don't need to worry about that stuff. We just have Stripe. <laughs> we just like, we just get people to subscribe in, in the US. It's not very difficult anymore. And that's, and that's becomes, it's really difficult to, at some point to like, you know, have the conversation, have that conversation to say, you don't have a board seat anymore. Um, and that's where, uh, having, having a really good chairman on our side, like in Colin, cause he still remains our chairman. He's just, just absolutely brilliant because he's, he's a trusted confidant of the business. And you always know that he's, he's one of those investors that cares dearly about the people inside the business as well as the business itself. So, um, so that creates a good layer of protection. So have a good chairman. There, there's your, your word of advice, ladies and gentlemen. Know who that is. And, and if you're going to bring on investors who you maybe are worried about them not caring as much about the business, um, or excuse me, as much about the people in the business as they are the business, make sure that you have a chairman uh, that, that cares about you and cares about your vision and cares about helping the business grow in that way. Mm, you know? Exactly. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's a fair statement to make that not all money you take is good money to take. Um, yeah. So, and I know it's a very difficult one as, as a founder and I, it's hard to explain if someone hasn't been on that journey before, but, um, you know, if I looked at it again with my slightly more wizened eyes now, you'd be like, it's probably best if, if we do the startup again and we're taking money in the early stages, you know, like, especially at, at seed, it's like, mm, not sure if you're the right fit. And actually to be fair, seed, seed funding is just, yeah, it's, it's quite tough because you, yeah. you, you're trying to get as much as you can from as many people as possible. And of course, even if people have logged in, you know, 25K and some people have logged in 250K, you know, someone who's not logged in 25K feels like they, they should have a big say because it might be a lot of money for that individual. So there's no there's no simple way to cut it. But yeah, let, let's just go with chairman. <laughs> but yeah, no yeah have, that, have that chairman. Well, and it, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, that person. So, so there's another word of advice. Look at the amount of money that individual is wanting to invest and what does it mean to them? right? Does it does that amount of money mean the same to them as it means to you? And if it's not the same, make sure that that's clear, right? As they're investing. I love that. Okay, let's shift um, away from the investing. And I want to talk about um, more of, of moments when you realized exactly what the software needed. So where you were like, oh, it needs... I mean, we, we talked a little bit before, if you've ever seen the, the you know, and I've brought this analogy up before, but if you've ever, ever seen the, show, the social network that, uh, that follows Mark Zuckerberg, that moment when he realizes, oh, it needs a relationship status, Any, anything like that that you'd love to share with us? Well, so the, the first kind of glimmer of hope was when, when we first started taking this, this to market. Um, even though it wasn't quite right for, for a lot of people, um, the, the kind of very ethos of it and just what we would show in a kind of mocked up MVP we had, the feedback we were getting was like, it's like you've gone inside my mind and you've built what I've tried, been trying to think I needed. So you're like, right, that's incredibly powerful, right? And I think one key element of knowing that you're ever hitting the right spot in a market is because we would find people again and again that had basically hacked together their own version of it, like hooking in a, a Google sheet and creating some kind of like automation to automatically publish that to, to, uh, to social channels. People have basically tried to hack together what we built as a product. So that is an incredible sign where you're like, you know, we're all along the right lines. Now that one of the, the moments of like realization as, as to what we needed, and we're actually still, you know, we're still on this journey of trying to build out what, what this is, to be honest with you. But when you start to realize, 
the opportunity and it, it really did dawn on us. The more big businesses we were speaking to, the more that they started to go like, how do I get more people involved in content marketing? Because content marketing typically exists with just like a single marketer or a marketing team. The reality is they can't come up with all, all of the ideas. And plus, they're the mouthpiece for the business. Like that's a, that's a huge amount on a team of five. So how do you get all of those ideas in? And then how do you kind of like distribute that in more and more places? So as it's kind of like as a lots of conversations were coming together, it felt like all the puzzle pieces in, in my mind were just coming coming together where, you know, where like I described at the start, Content Cal sits at the center and you've got ways in which that you can hoover content ideas into Content Cal from loads of places and then basically send that to huge huge amount of places thereafter. So what we were, what we kind of thought about as a business, as we we're meeting more and more customers, we started to get a bit of a picture as to like all of the things that they need. And then really it's a case of like connecting so many dots and bringing it all together because, and that's, that's really where the light bulb went off as to like where this product can evolve to. And this is on, this is the journey that we're currently on. So we're kind of right in the middle of this. And as an example, right, because we find that so many companies would use, use Slack to uh, share ideas with each other. So why don't we have this an integration with with slack into content cows so you can pull those ideas directly into like your kind of content ideas bucket if you will and that then opens up content creation to the entire business so your entire business then become content creators which transforms both the quality of content the quantity of content and really like starts to lean a business into more of a kind of content first oriented business and the timing is so good for this right now, despite obviously the world pandemic going on, but the timing is so incredible for that now because that is that is massively needed. And now it becomes like a bit of a funnel where all your content goes into the, the top of that funnel into Content Cal to organize and distribute that. And then out the bottom of a funnel really, where essentially we're distributing it, not just to social channels, which is where we started, it's it's down to everything. It's so newsletters. So what was the moment when you realized Slack was the way that you could involve the entire company? What was somebody like, oh hey, what if we created a Slack integration? Or or were, what, did you find a lot of users were copying and pasting from Slack? What was that moment like? Yeah, so it, it was more of a natural evolution, and I would say that the key element to this is like every single sales meeting we had, certainly in the early days we would make sure we question around not just the use of the product, but everything else that kind of was tangentially linked to content marketing. Like, how do you come up with ideas? Who do you work with? What are the, what, tell me every struggle, not just related to, you know, what I'm showing you with content cap, just show, just share all basically. So at the end of it, every meeting, it just, I'm trying to make it into like an agony aunt session where they just like spill their guts about every single issue that they had. And I just note it in a massive Google doc. And it just became a huge like research piece. And um, that, that research piece is something advocated again by this book, um, Startup Owner's Manual, which is like, they call it the customer development process. And really, you know, they, they refer to a startup as just a research project, because really at an idea stage, that's all, all it is. Many people misconceive themselves and they think they've got a business, but they, but they don't really. They've just got an idea. So it is a research, it's a research project. project. I love that. Oh, that's another... Uh, an idea is just a research project. I I need to go. I haven't. I, that's that's not. I've read the lean startup and I've read 
several of the other you know books that are out there around that I haven't had a chance to read Startup Owner's Manual yet, and I'm I'm putting it on the list. Yeah, I mean it's it's not something you you would go through in one in one go, but like the first couple of chapters, I think really for, for every startup founder, I, I would definitely advocate it. Yeah, so really, you, you I just you just continually treat everything like a research project because that's why you know it's so important to have both like Alex, our CEO, thinking like he's in his own head, thinking of like new, next new things. But where I was, where I play in the business is like I'm so in in depth with the customers of going like tell me everything everything you're struggling with because i want to know the stuff that's existing today and where we start to connect it all um and that's and that's really as, as simple as that because as long as we're we were fortunate enough that our product in its kind of like mvp guys and as it evolved was good enough to transact and start making money out of that you know that that was good we got sales process going and all that good stuff uh, but you know, we just never, never stop learning. And you're always just like every single time you're speaking with someone and going like, let's try and think broader. Let's try and think about how many things we can we can make this into. And that's so long story short, it wasn't it's not like a light bulb moment that suddenly you're like, oh, right. Um, I couldn't pin it on a certain point, like in the, the, the social network example you gave. But it's like the culmination of things and the and the way I, I work is just kind of like just continually writing stuff down and just drawing diagrams on the wall and being like, how, how does this all, all come together? And that's, that's the thing I find just, just the best. I flipping love it. I like trying to hear a problem and then trying to figure out ways that you can knit together a solution that will further differentiate you. I mean, to be fair, it's quite similar to what you do at your business, but so you can identify with that, I expect. I love it. I love it. As you're looking at this, what difficulties did you face as you begun diving in, you know, on Content Cal as employee number number two? What what difficulties did you face, and how did you overcome them? Any that you want to highlight? Yeah, where do you want to start? It's super hard. Um, early days, like like anything, right? Because you are batting on any people's doors, like virtually speaking, to try and you know try and get them to give you some time, right? That's the, the hardest thing is just trying trying to get that learning as quickly as possible, really hard at a standing start, and to get people to to buy you initially. The first 100 customers took us, 100 paying customers, that is, that took us uh, a year to get. And we thought, we, we actually expected to get that within the first month of launching. So shows how naive and ambitious you kind of are sometimes. Um, because we thought, right, well, we're going to launch it upon the world. You can sign up online, put your credit card details in, and away you go. Everyone will do it. Did anyone do it? Did they hell? Um, so, uh, yeah, so there we go. It's it's just a, it's a story of like, right, well, if no one else, if no one is finding us, obviously not, because we're too early stages for that. So we're going to go find them. So it's just a case of Zoom call after Zoom call. How did you find them though? Was it Facebook ads? Was it, what, what did you do to, to go out and get, I mean, cause you have to start somewhere in terms of having those conversations. What did you do? Exactly. Uh, annoying people on LinkedIn mostly. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn is the best spam network ever, man. It, it is amazing how, I mean, and you have to do it right. It's amazing how many, 
um, how many LinkedIn uh, outreaches I get specifically, and I, and and I have a a, a dedicated employee. Um, because she actually she actually is our podcast manager as well. She's listening to this call, so yeah. so she she is a dedicated uh, person who helps me manage my LinkedIn and those conversations. So. Totally, yeah. So, so annoying a lot of people on LinkedIn yeah. is how you kind of got that initially started. And then, and then cold and cold outreach, right? Because what? And I think an important point to to note here is that in the early days, uh, we bought an email list, right? As most people do, buy an email list, you know, of you know, content marketers, social media marketers. It was at that at that point. Buy an email list, send out an email blast, and hope people will come back to you. Which a few people do, and you, you book a few meetings off the back of it. But one thing that's, that was a real struggle is that you're going to get loads of feedback in the early days where people are like, oh, that's not good enough or this is good or whatever. It's, it's, it's really hard to, to start deciphering what's good feedback and what is not and what is distracting feedback. You know, something that you're just like, that's, that's actually noise. Thank you for your feedback. But, you know, respectfully, I'm not going to listen to it. And there, there's some things that are, that's golden. That takes a little while to refine that. There's no easy way to, to explain that. But also a, a real key thing to note, especially for a business like ours, which has such broad market potential, right? It's content marketing, everyone does it. So for something like ours, you know, one thing I, I stole a term from um, Seth Godin, which I'm sure you probably have heard of him. So he, he has a term called like minimum viable audience. So smallest possible audience you can go to that will sustain your business. And you actually see when you market within an audience, excuse me, like that, uh, you actually gain better traction because there it's kind of like a self-referring audience because you seem bigger because you appear more to to that audience, right? So it's just about standard like cognizance. So someone's seen you more often. So that audience that we we selected um, was an agency audience, right? Because we could we could tell a good story to them because we were an agency ourselves. This is what we did. This is how we transformed things. Yada yada. So that's that's a good story to tell. Lots of people bought into that. And the reason we, that we went to this agency audience is that I'd spent maybe two, three months getting battered around looking at massive businesses. You obviously go after the big enterprise ones, like ones I'd worked with in, yeah, like historically in previous companies, yada, yada. And they'll hear you out. They might say, oh, this is great. This has massive potential. And we call it, we call it happy years, right? So it's like someone will sit there for an hour. They'll tell you all these great things. But will something happen? Will it? No. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so and you're like, you know, are we are we trying to build a product for a big market? Because I think our our investors in the early days were expecting that this was going to be an enterprise play, like a big, like we're going to be doing massive deals, etc. Just that wasn't that wasn't the reality. The reality was was very far removed from that. So that did take some time to explain that in the early days and go like, you know, this this is not your big enterprise software. This is mass market kind of stuff where we're going to be selling 20 30 quid a month subscriptions we're not doing 20 grand deals you know that kind of stuff so it's going to take a while it's going to take a while before you're going to hit that hockey stick that is for sure anyway so that, that was a massive challenge but it had to be done because in the early, we would have died if we were going to just focus on that that enterprise audience so we um that goes back to your business plan. I mean, the business, you, the first interaction with your customers, you realize, oh crap, we're not an actual, we're not an enterprise customer software at this current moment in time. So we have to, we have to pivot back and see where that's going. Exactly. I, Perfect point. Th this has been amazing. I think we found, found some nuggets here that, that we haven't found in past episodes with this season. So I'm super excited about that for our listeners. 
to, to round us out, what advice would you give other SaaS entrepreneurs that are just starting out or that are in some stage of their business? And, you know, maybe they're, 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 they've got some investors, maybe they're further along than you. What, what, what would be that one piece of advice that you would say, hey, don't forget to or, or, or don't, you know, make sure that you're, you're, you're focusing on what would it be? So many options. Don't forget to, I'm going to call this the phrase of own your growth. And what I mean by that is that there is far too much reliance uh, for early stage businesses on things like Facebook ads or Google PPC. You're building your business on rented land. And the moment you turn off that budget, leads disappear. It gives you very little brand lift. So invest heavily in your kind of long-term brand building activity. Uh, for us, that's been hugely in around our educational content. Our academy has been viewed by 2,000 businesses just since we launched it in, in March. But we've been doing so much, so much heavyweight stuff around education to help people become better marketers in the space. It's done in wonders for our reputation. And as much as you can with that, with owning your growth, create personalities within this space. So within your market, like, like not just the CEO just being like the, uh, the, the typical CEO founder, but like make you make your business, especially if you're a B2B type of organization, make your business seem really accessible and give it personality. And that is something that's going to build reputation for you over the long term, which means that you know, hopefully you'll get to a position or you might well be further ahead of us. But we're in a position now where, you know, we don't rely anywhere near as much from PPC. Our organic traffic is huge. Super powerful. So ending note here, don't build your business on rented land buy the land and the way you buy the land is one content piece one education piece one partnership at a time our business is built on referrals and built on partnerships that we build with referrals and the way we start out with that is annoying people on linkedin so so we we get out there we we build a real relationship with someone and those relationships are, are what, what's there and, and we don't rely as heavily on, on paid search and some of those other things that, that, that are out there. So could not agree with you more about don't build that business on rented land. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't start the business on rented land, but quickly own your growth. Yeah, yeah. exactly that. Exactly that. So yeah, it's, it's not either or, but yeah, that's just the advice I would give because it's sometimes, it's sometimes missed. Yep. I love it. That's it. That's our episode today for uh, Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. want to thank you, Andy, for being here. Thank you. This no, th this is this is a fantastic episode for people. I, I think that we, we got some really really great nuggets. And, and again, appreciate your time, appreciate your willingness to share. Um, that's it for automate, delegate, eliminate. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.